All right, Albert and Ada, I've got a few questions for you about reading and writing and literacy, all right? Okay. So, what are they? So the first question is, I've noticed that you two read a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Why? I, um, because I love reading. My kids are nine and seven. I thought it was worth canvassing their opinion as I started my thinking about this episode. And that word love is interesting, isn't it? How often is that considered when learning in school is thought about? Is it good when someone chooses the book for you or if you choose it yourself? Me choose it myself. Why? Because I like the books that I choose, not someone else. I want to choose my own books because it's better when I choose my own books. Why is it better? Because um, the books are better when I choose them because... um. Because I get to read what I want to read and I get to look at what I want to look at. All right, and that's the best, is it? Yeah. It's better when I get to choose. Interest drives motivation, in other words. What's, What's great about reading, then? Um... That there's all sorts of different books, non-fiction, fiction, fantasy. And, like, fancy books. Novels, yeah. picture books. Graphic novels. And, like, um, also there's, like, chapter books that you can read that are super big that help you read more and learn more words from those books. Hear the willingness in that? The drive? The awareness that variety is something to embrace? In this, I think we hear a fundamental assumption that I have about learning, which is that kids want to learn, and they will, as long as they have that willingness honoured. They want to get into the world. They are open to it. And, um, and when you read something, a book from school that you're with a reading group in, that your reading group is reading. Um, if it was non-fiction and you usually write, like, graphic novels, then you would be able to write about something different. All right, so teachers should be helping kids understand the different types of ways to write. Yeah. Okay, yep. And, of course, they need the help of others to help them get into the world. Someone who can open the doors expand their horizons, allow them to see where their interests can go. Kids know this. It's the source of all their questions. Kia ora, I'm Bevan Holloway, and this is Read Me Write, a three-part podcast series that considers the development of literacy and education contexts driven by learner agency. Today we'll focus on finding our theoretical feet. In episode 2, we'll consider why we might use agency to support the development of literacy. Episode 3 will focus on the practical how-to stuff, with a bit of a focus on how this might be achieved with many learners out of school at the moment. Those of you who are Wellington Literacy Association subscribers will have the opportunity to follow along in real time and feed into the contents of episode 2 and 3. 
The association is running a Google Doc alongside this podcast series for questions and comments to be posted. I'll do my best to respond as we go. There are three things we need to consider as we seek our theoretical foundation. First, what do we mean when we say literate? Second, what is agency and how is it different to choice? Finally, what drives people and why is that even relevant to what we're talking about? Let's dive in. On the surface, what is often meant by literate is that someone has an ability to read and write. But there is more to it than that, isn't there? Because what we're also after is an ability to make sense of things and express oneself through the written word. Which means we're also after 1. Critical thought. We want people to be able to weigh up different voices and evidence and draw valid conclusions from them that offer insights into experience. 2. Appreciation. We want people who see that reading and writing adds value to their life. They find some pleasure in it and understand the richness being literate brings and the empathy it fosters. And third, inclination. We want people who have a desire to pick up something and read it or express something in writing. I'm reminded of Mark Twain here. His lovely little quote, A man who won't read has no advantage over a man who can't. I think what we're talking about here is something more profound than prosaic. Just think about those three things. They hint at some deeply personal human qualities that being literate helps to develop. Insight, pleasure, empathy, desire. Now that should be no surprise. You see, we are wired for stories. We are narrative creatures. As Jonathan Sachs says in his book Morality, we are, in large measure, the stories we tell about ourselves. And those stories we tell are about our place in the world, where we fit, how we connect with others, what we are capable of. If we are to think about this in the context of developing literacy in our learners, we see First and foremost, literacy understanding is something inherent within everyone, which means we are naturally disposed to get it. But also, we see that the story we tell about ourselves is crucial when we think about learners and education. As educators, we need to employ approaches that foster positive individual narratives in our context specifically, as literacy learners. Now I'm not talking about self-esteem here, by the way, or even growth mindset. I'm talking about creating contexts that support learners in hoovering up knowledge, experiences and ideas about things that interest them and widen their world. Brian Boyd explores our affinity for story in his wonderful book on the origin of stories. In it, he argues that stories, specifically fiction, serve as an evolutionary force because they, in their creation, 
telling and listening foster connection, creativity and empathy. Now these three things are linked to what Darwin identified as the essential evolutionary counterbalance to individual competition. That is, altruism, which helps groups survive and evolve. We can't survive without being part of the group. So being literate is not only about the ABCs. It's also about knowing thyself in a positive way. And through that knowledge, being able to be a part of something bigger in a way that helps it survive through the ages. Okay, time to shift our focus slightly. As we can see, stories are fundamental to the human experience. And Brian Boyd, again, he argues that storytelling derives from play. Now, I'm not going to argue for learning through play here, but let it suffice for me to say that play is a space of heightened expression, which is narrative at work. And play is also agency in action. So let's get a grip on what is actually meant by agency. Agency and choice, you see, are not the same thing. To appreciate this distinction, I want you to think about going to the beach as a kid. As you listen, I want you to hold Margaret Carr's learning dispositions framework in your mind. She says learning happens when learners are ready, willing, and able. Think about how those dispositions might be experienced in each scenario. Here's scenario one. You're with some friends and an adult. Okay, we're here for two hours, the adult says. You can do three things. One, make sandcastles. I brought some spades, sand scoopers and buckets for that. Please don't use sticks and shells. Or two, I'm going to go and put up an umbrella with some towels underneath it for you to lie under and read a book. I have the books here in this bag. You'll see your name on a few I've thought will be good for you. Please don't read a book with someone else's name on it because I've only got a limited supply and I need everyone to have access to the books I've chosen for them. Or third, you can swim. If you do that, please let me know so I can watch you. And please, no running in the sand dunes or into the car park. You have choice here. You can pick from making sandcastles, reading from your selection of books, or having a swim. The adult's role is clear. Help the kids make a choice, make sure they stick with their pick, and that they don't do any of the no's. The adult has two things up their sleeve to make kids stick to the tasks. They can use their authority to make the kids do things. That's power. Or they can incentivize participation. That's bribery. Neither of them give the kid much control of the situation. But what if you don't like doing or aren't interested in any of those things you were told you could do? They're certainly not the only ways of being at the beach. What's the story you might tell about yourself at the beach if you don't like any of these choices? If the story isn't positive, how are you going to be able to be a positive, constructive, collaborative part of the group? Are you not more likely to withdraw into yourself unless compelled to contribute? Where's the drive to do more going to come from?
Here's scenario two. You're with some friends and an adult. Okay, we're here for two hours, the adult says. Have fun. Look after each other. Be proud of what you do. You have agency here. Many things are possible, but everyone will do beachy things. The environment is going to shape the choices that are made. It's quite likely many will build sandcastles, or read, or swim. But it's also likely that sandcastles will be built with shells, hands, sticks, as well as spades and buckets. Some sandcastles might morph into cars or incorporate driftwood. Equally likely is that some will wander and collect things. Games of cricket will happen. Forts will be established in the dunes. Some might have races or play catch in the water. It's quite likely you'd see those things Boyd says stories foster. Connection, creativity, empathy. The adult's role is different in this scenario. No longer is the focus on making sure kids are doing what they were told to do. Instead, their role becomes orientated around joy and discovery. They can get involved with things. They can participate. They can contribute. Or they can just sit back and let it all sink in. The kids are in control of things. Think of the emotional experience in each scenario. The first scenario is great if you love any of those three things that are offered. And if everyone loves them, then the adult can enjoy the day too. But if you don't like any of the three, well, a choice of three things you don't like is just as stink as being told there is one thing you must do. In the second scenario, the emotional experience is much more likely to be warm and inclusive because everyone gets to engage in being at the beach in a way that is meaningful to them. And think of the story of self that is developed in each scenario. If we are, as Jonathan Sachs says, in large measure, the stories we tell about ourselves, there is more scope for a positive story of self to be told in the second scenario because of the openness and acceptance inherent within it. More kids are likely to leave the beach feeling positive about their ability at the beach in the second scenario. They are more likely to want to go back. If we are to get sentimental about things, there's more scope for love to come into the experience in scenario two. What's love got to do with it? Everything, I think. Remember what Albert said at the start? What I'm driving at here is that there is a close connection between developing literate people and what it means to be human. I'm not saying that people who aren't literate aren't human, but what I am suggesting is that literacy can be developed in a way that more closely mirrors our humanness. A key part of a positive human story is love. That's the source of the connection between us. It's what binds us. It's what drives us. But it only occurs where people have the chance to meet on open terms and have an element of control of their experience.
Now, you're probably thinking, yeah, nice metaphor, but I don't teach on a beach. And surely you're not suggesting if I take my students to the beach and let them go for it, they'll learn how to read? No, I'm not. However, if we see the beach as a metaphor for a learning space, then we can see the metaphor can be applied to a school setting. We don't need a beach. We just need to create a learning environment that promotes literacy through enabling learners to experience being literate as a positive, life-enhancing quality. An environment that makes them want to come back. I'll dive into my idea of a learning playground and the teacher's role in it in episode 3. If we think back to Margaret Carr's dispositions in the context of the beach metaphor, in the first scenario, learners have choice but little control of the dispositions. The focus is almost exclusively on the able disposition as well. All the learners must pick from a selection someone else has created with the development of learner ability occurring in a teacher-selected way. That's what they have to do. The ready disposition is also controlled by the authority figure, mostly through expressions of power or bribery. Now is the time to develop your ability in this area by doing these things I planned, not other things, even though they might be possible, is the message. And willing? Well, that's not really a relevant factor, unless the options available to choose from fit with your interests. However, when these three dispositions are controlled internally, then we are more likely to get the positive stories of self we know are crucial to living a fulfilling life. Let's think back to scenario two. Knowing you were going to the beach would have cued the story you have about yourself at the beach, which would have given you ideas about what you would like to do. Now on arrival, you would be ready. You would have a clear idea about what you wanted to do. And that would reflect what you're interested in. You'd be keen to get stuck in. And you could. This keenness is the willing disposition. It provides motivation to get on with it and an openness to possibility. We all know that feeling of willingness and its power. For me, it's the key thing that drives learning. But only an individual can control this disposition. It is the act of doing where the able disposition is expressed. This is the st where the story you tell about yourself is extended. If that's driven by willingness, it's more likely to be a positive one. Note too, the environment and the people there would have shaped your thinking. You would have thought of what was possible at the beach. Your thinking was not boundless, in other words. The context shaped your options, shaped what you were readied yourself for, and what you were willing to do. What's willing got to do with it? Everything. For in willingness, we find love. We are driven by the things we love. When it comes to learning contexts driven by agency, there are three things we need to be cognizant of and that need to be honoured if we want love to come into the room. And in these things, I'm influenced by Daniel Pink.
The first thing is autonomy. We all want to be our own person. We want to be able to stand on our own two feet and chart a path that's meaningful to us. Learning contexts driven by agency honour this need because they grant the learner a supported space to pursue them. The second thing is mastery. We all want to be good at something, to dive deep into an aspect of interest and existence. When we are able to engage on our own terms, we are more likely to do this, and in doing so, that story we tell about ourselves is more likely to be a positive one, and this creates a willingness to pursue it further. Third, connection. We all need to be part of something bigger than ourselves. And this is often the forgotten aspect when agency is thought of. And it's a big mistake. Because if we think that we are not connected, in other words, if we forget about the importance of connection, all we have are atoms bouncing around in space. Remember my kids at the start? They know that others are crucial in supporting their pursuit of mastery. They are open to connection. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. In the next episode... We'll consider what the data tells us about the current state of literacy in New Zealand and why it's important to hold on to a long view when thinking about the development of literacy. Also, I'll do my best to respond to comments and questions. So remember, the Wellington Literacy Association have made a Google Doc available for that. Please go and use it. Thanks again to the WLA for supporting the development of this series. Noho oromai everyone. Stay safe in your bubbles. We'll see you next week.